Hey gang! Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts is funded by Patreon. Join for early access to special bonus episodes and exclusive material, including the upcoming Scooby-Doo Book Club. Joining is the best way that you can be a part of shaping the material we produce, and we are super thankful to everyone who contributes. Thank you to David Green, Kyle Michaud, Katie Maxwell, Jordan Ferguson, Pablo Corden, Matthew Bang, Blake Sawyer, Ashley Martinez, Dan Reed, Gabriel Pesek, Toj, Jade Core, Wynn Richport, Samuel Chesser, Bradford N. Smith, Page on Gaming, and Alicia Harper for funding this episode. Welcome to Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. The original podcast that painstakingly goes through all Scooby-Doo media in search of those to Scooby-Doo absolutely or Scooby-Don't under any circumstance. I'm your host, Billy. And I'm your host, Amelia. And we're watching Scary Christmas. It is! Look at us! Lined up perfectly. Christmas Day. A Christmas Scooby-Doo episode. The closest we had come to this point was, I think, a Nutcracker Scoob in November. I felt pretty good about that, but this is, is just like an alignment of the stars. 2020 was good for something, and it was for getting us to this exact moment. And... Christmas Pterodactyl! Oh yeah, that's right. I still have to talk about Be Cool. There goes all the (laughs) joy and whimsy for a Christmas episode. uh, Hey, the whimsy's here. At least from me. Because I will say, this is probably one of the better Be Cool episodes we've watched so far. I don't know what you're basing this on. My own experience watching the episode. I, it's like a Christmas present I opened and was quite pleased with. Well, you've always had bad taste. <laughs> well, you're the one that gets my presents. I don't know what that means. I mean, they're, pre- they're presents that I'm happy with, so you're really just shopping. for it's lovely. Thank you. Thank you for the presents. So, location. This episode takes place somewhere named Rockwellville. It is a Christmas town. There is so much Christmas atmosphere in this episode. It is joyful and triumphant. I forgot that this was going to be a fucking nightmare to record because you're going to try to work in Christmas carols <laughs> left, right, and center. Should I Should I not try to do that? Yeah, every fucking day you should not try to do that. And yet I have to hear about good King Wenceslas and he like came to town! in the middle of May and like... Just gonna touch sick of it. Alright, alright, that's fair. I would probably also get sick of it if I lived in this town. Now, does Rockwellville celebrate Christmas all year long? Or is it just super gung-ho once the time comes? Is this like a Salem at Halloween situation? It would be that, I think, in real life. You know, there's there's only so much use the world has for a year-round Christmas store, let alone a year-round Christmas town. Yeah. Also, I'd like to believe that this town isn't, like, probably super racist with how mm. hard it goes for Christmas. 
that would definitely be a factor if that was a year-round thing. You think? Yeah. You don't think Christians are super racist? And the ones that want to celebrate Christmas every day are the worst Okay, of them? yeah, I see what you're saying in that regard. At the very least, I will say, very little Jesus in this town. This, this is a secular Christmas town, and for that, we can be thankful. Well, thankfully, children's cartoons have to be secular. It's the one thing I can agree with on America's policies. I'm trying to think if there is a... I mean, Rankin-Bass is all I'm thinking of with their, like, Little Drummer Boy and Nestor the Long-Eared Donkey. Those don't get shown on TV. Not anymore. Used to be. Little Drummer Boy, that was like a steadfast, like, Sunday, 2 p.m., do you want to watch an infomercial or do you want to watch this one? And it got a sequel. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Jesus didn't have any, like, magical son of God siblings. Why would the little drummer boy have to come out again? He he was going out with the silver bells he had to save. He's, just, like he he's, was going out to start a band. He, I mean, he's he was a little drummer boy. Lots of life ahead of him. Not in that time period. Live to be like 35 if you're lucky. That's true. At first glance, <laughs> for a scary Christmas, we meet two very savvy children. They are debating the logistics and mathematics of Santa Claus. As all kids are prone to do. Yes. They, they, all kids know that Santa has to visit approximately 91.8 million homes. And that he, because of the curvature of the Earth, he would have an extended night of 30-something hours. That was smart. These kids are smarter than me. Sure. My at first glance, I hope this pterodactyl is also pirating music. Because after the last episode, which totally fucked up my boys, mm -hmm. the Gackling Green Ghosts, I think it's time that some other classic villains <laughs> go down with them. See, <laughs> Let's get the music pirating pterodactyl in here. The Christmas pterodactyl. It, it's fascinating to me that this is not the first time I've heard of this concept. Because Community, in its stop-motion episode, had a Christmas pterodactyl. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this just goes to show you that someone on the writing staff liked community. Is it? Or is this just a new tradition that's organically being grown? No. Are we going to soon, in several years, all celebrate the Christmas pterodactyl? Or fear it? It might be a Krampus situation where children hunker down in fear of the pterodactyl. No, because kids love dinosaurs. Kids would want to stay up and see the pterodactyl, even if it was screeching. Also, it's but an animal. It does not have the machinations of a Krampus. Right. Did, did Moby Dick teach you nothing? It's just a fucking animal. I Leave like it this alone. then. I like it. So on the good side, you have Santa. On the bad side, you have Krampus. And then the Christmas pterodactyl is a more neutral figure. He wishes you neither harm nor good. It's just but a fleeting glance that you're looking for. Here's the premise. Daphne just wants to be able to celebrate her birthday, which is right on Christmas Eve, while Fred is determined to solve a Christmas mystery and keeps returning at the local orphanage. Unfortunately, all he can get is one with a pterodactyl, which has nothing to do with Christmas. Downhill. These premises. <laughs> that one was rough. Downhill. Uh, it hits the beats, the, but... 
did did it officially ever say in episode that it was Christmas Eve? I thought it was Christmas time. Yeah, I kind of just got the feeling like maybe this is like December 12th when mm-hmm. people kind of start to reach their peak of Christmas festivity. It's certainly December. I think that can be said to be definitive, but I don't remember them saying it was Christmas Eve precisely. They may have. Because why wouldn't they want to be with their families in this time? Well, Fred is an orphan. Obviously, and we'll get into that. That's just something we know. Right now, we're going to talk about Daphne, because she was once again mentioned first thing in the premise. It is her birthday, and it has been overshadowed by Christmas for her whole life. This is understandable. This is something... Oh, come on. People born around Christmas, too bad, so sad, your parents fucked in March, get over it. (laughs) I'm just saying, this might be something that a lot of people do relate to. So it's nice to get an episode for them. Too bad, so sad, your parents fucked in March. (laughs) Get over it. That's alright if that's our official ruling on it. That's my official ruling on it. I think it makes sense that... This is a Daphne who's maybe a little more starved for attention in this way. This is a Daphne who didn't get everything she wanted. She just got her birthday lumped with Christmas, looking for a little recognition. She's still a rich bitch. Who gives a shit? She does. And I don't care. I Well, I think this is a more reasonable uh, effort for Daphne in this episode, of her just wanting some time for her her own birthday. I can respect this. Also... Fashion report, because you know I'm doing one of those in a winter wear episode. Daphne's winter wear is super fashionable. She's got that, like, sleek-looking jacket. She's got some stockings on. She's ready to party. She doesn't have the classic large Russian fur hat that classic Daphne had. No, she's got a party hat at certain times. That throws off the ensemble a little bit. But overall, I mean, I really like her jacket. She actually throws herself a surprise party in the beginning of this episode. The the gang open the van doors, and she is celebrating her birthday. Why doesn't she just tell them it's her birthday? Yeah, it seems like they don't know. Like, they legitimately were never told when her birthday was. And so, I mean, I think it's... It is a little on them, then. At least acknowledge it. What do you mean it's a little on them? I don't know. Because she never told them they should just intrinsically know when Daphne Blake's birthday is? In this era of social media, you get a notification. You know that morning that it's their birthday. Maybe, you know, because they uh, have to interact with Daphne on a face-to-face basis, they have her muted across all social media. (laughs) So her notifications don't come up. That's reasonable, because if anybody of this gang is shitposting... I think Daphne is shitposting a lot. You go to her wall, and it is, it's memes, but, like, they don't make sense. And she thinks that's funny. But it's like, okay, yeah, but I do want to see posts from other people. I have nothing else for Daphne. Well, I mean, she she's just birthday vibes across the board. Uh, when the van is rollicking through the streets, she's worried about her birthday cake at one point. She silly strings Fred's face which he is not amused by at all. If it is actually Christmas Eve and it's her birthday and she's upset that Christmas has overshadowed it over year, who's more important, 
Jesus motherfucking Christ <laughs> okay. or Daphne you Blake. See, this is where I know you're stretching because you don't care about Jesus. No, but in the grand scheme but of the re- things, the rest of the gang are, de- are devout Christians. You know what? In the though? grand scheme of things, if you're gonna be overshadowed by anyone, mm-hmm. I think Jesus might be the fair, man. Fair enough. <laughs> I will say though. Again, in defense of Daphne in this episode, she's not asking for Christmas to be cancelled or removed. She, in fact, wishes a man a Merry Christmas at one point. She just wants her birthday to be acknowledged alongside of Christmas. And I think that was the line where I'm like, okay, I'm on board with this. The fact that Daphne is like, yeah, Merry Christmas, but you guys who are my best friends, it's also my birthday. Can we acknowledge that? Yeah, as long as she doesn't expect, like, double presents or anything. And I don't think she does. She just wants a song. My and that's what she gets at the end, and she's happy. My mother's birthday is very close to Christmas, and all her Christmas gifts just got wrapped in happy birthday paper. <laughs> See, that's funny. And that acknowledges it. So that's 100% fine. And efficient use of paper. Moving on to the Fred factor. He needs a Christmas mystery. He does. He needs this. He He has had a rough year, and he just needs this. All right, everyone? It is his number one goal that he's going to get a Christmas mystery this year. It is going to be seasonally themed, and he's not a fan of a pterodactyl showing up. None of us are. He, I kind of was, because it's refreshing. It's not! We've seen it. We've literally seen a Christmas pterodactyl before. Yeah, not of a focus of a mystery like this. Refreshing in a, in this context. It's not even the first time Scooby-Doo's has done a pterodactyl. No, but it's the first time that pterodactyl has not been pirating music. Fred's outfit, I, I will say, I have much more to say on him being obsessed with the Christmas mystery. But first of all, priorities, fashion report. He has a a dark coat, which I think is similar to coats he's worn before. But this is actually, like, much more of a trim. It's a navy. uh, And I love his red earmuffs that go with it. It's a little bit of changing up his regular style. It's a peacoat. He's always worn that in the winter. In the original series, it was white. Well, I think his his change of body type. The earmuffs are new. He used to wear a little toque. Yes. But I think that this peacoat is shorter. It I, works with this design. Uh, no, it doesn't, because his little fucking stick legs just go straight up into the coat like he's got no fucking <laughs> pelvis. Once again, I'm forced to ask, where are their dicks? Because they, they are... Got, they got no dicks. They got there. no dicks. It's a dickless world. <laughs> Fred wants very much to help the orphans at the orphanage, thus proving once and for all that this boy is an orphan. Yeah, Our uh, headcanon is correct. This honestly adds a lot of lore to the Nutcracker Scoob, that when Fred thinks of Christmas, he thinks of helping orphans. I love that. That is a positive trait. So, here it is, once and for all, Fred is an orphan from the Tahoe region of California, and he revisits that orphanage every year to help produce the Nutcracker ballet that all the little orphans do. Everyone stop giving him parents. In, in this episode, it is officially the Big Sad Eyes Orphanage. And 
I actually really like the joke that Fred just keeps leading the gang back there. I know I just talked about uh, not loving a joke being driven into the ground, but this was a quick joke each time. And it actually did sort of forward the story along each time it happened. So I'm a fan of Fred saying he has an idea of where to investigate and just always leading the gang back to the orphanage. Previously mentioned, Daphne does cover him in silly strength, mm-hmm. specifically his face. He told her not in the face, but she didn't listen and blew her load all over it in his hair as well. That's a fucking pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. It's not the only time that Fred's face gets covered, either. <laughs> the, no, uh, Daphne's just putting all sorts of shit on Fred's all face All substances today. are there. The end of this episode. Uh, it, this episode builds to a conclusion, I will say. And it happens very slowly at first, and then increases. Uh, at first, we see the top half of the van being ripped off, uh... And then we learn that uh, the van can actually be powered by a treadmill out in front. And this all leads to, essentially, the gang becoming Santa and his reindeer. Uh, Scooby actually gets a red nose because he is uh, supposed to be dressed as a clown for Daphne's birthday. But he and Shaggy are out front as the reindeer. Fred gets a cake in his face, so now that's the beard for Santa Claus. The wings get ripped off of the mystery machine. Fred's stupid van is extra fucking stupid today. I figured you wouldn't be a fan of the flying. I'm not a fan of anything this van does. I I feel like I was neutral to this in What's New, where it was kind of wacky, and Mystery Incorporated had some mods, but it was like shooting grease out from behind you so that other cars slipped, and like, that's doable. He turns this fucking van into a jet engine with retractable workout room and, like, just the process of it turning into Santa's sleigh in the most stupidly obvious way. Barf. I- I disagree. Barf! I- I- I get what you're saying about the lack of realism and the van being able to do too much. That's very understandable. But just because they built it up throughout the episode and I think the elements were justified... I did love the Mystery Machine becoming Santa's sleigh and Fred Jones becoming Santa Claus. Also, at the very end, when he's giving away a present to one of the orphans, and you see Fred's eyes water up, he's just so happy he's going to be able to do this one nice thing for an orphan. Fred's a good boy. Moving on to the Velma vision. She hates orphans and doesn't want to save them. Every time they end up at the orphanage, she's just like, we're not going in there, we're not helping them. And then at the end, when they end up doing just that, helping the orphans, she rolls her eyes (laughs) and is like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. And is just like a super cunt about it. She's just like, these kids were abandoned by their parents and therefore they should just die and decrease the surplus population. Are there no workhouses? One positive note, she's finally dressing for the weather. Oh, I think we've complained a lot about the fact that Velma generally doesn't wear a winter coat. (laughs) Because she's already wearing a sweater. But today, she is in a full, puffy orange coat. She's got a red hat and big boots. Does she have anything covering her legs? 
Or is she still bare-legged? Because that's been my main complaint all these years. She's wearing dark tights. Or at least might even be pants, for all I know. The coat goes down too far for me to see. Neither of the girls have their ears covered. Meanwhile, all of the boys do. Well, Daphne's got her hair down. That helps. Yeah. But regardless, it's a big improvement for Velma's winter wear game. And she, she is on board for a pterodactyl. I think she's just not a Christmas person. She pretty much tells those kids to go fuck themselves. So. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not a great look. <laughs> I enjoyed though. Fred keeps looking for other sorts of mysteries that they could be solving. At one point he's like, there are still a few pieces missing from this puzzle. And Velma has the line, the puzzle with a giant picture of a pterodactyl on the box. And I liked that because it's like, Fred, there's a pterodactyl. This is the mystery. And it's not a mystery. That's just an animal living its life. Well, I, th I think a pterodactyl raises questions. She also says that the events of this episode are the strangest events in which I've ever willingly participated. And I would argue willingly. I don't know if you are fully on board with this, Velma. I think that you're kind of being dragged through it still. What about the time that you decided to become a cave creature? You willingly did that. She's willingly done a lot of things. She's unwillingly done a lot of things. But to say this is the strangest series of events, that's just not true. The shaggy Scooby shenanigans. These two will sack race without a second question. No, it's like, you know, they're trained for it. They're ready for sack races. Who trains for a sack race, Billy? Shaggy and Scooby. <laughs> they're any sort of running. They're ready. They have trained their bodies for any sort of running away. The sack race is like, ooh, what if our legs are tied? That wh Here's what we do. We grab sacks, and now we can hop and use the pulling of the sack to help propel us forward. Does the sack help like that? No. No. I think it would make it worse. I think if you just bounced away with your legs tied, you'd be better off. All right, well, what, all right, there, if they are tied into sacks, then they can get away. That's something that might happen. They work out from Thanksgiving to January because that's that's peak holiday mm -hmm. eating that they need to get through. I'm shocked they didn't say from Halloween to January. Yeah, I'm also shocked because when they said training, I didn't imagine it like physical training. I imagined it like they would start with some smaller portions and work their way up. Uh, but no, it's actually like working out, uh, old-timey punching bags, treadmills, weights, all that junk. Yeah. I, I guess that's why Fred brings out the treadmill on the van. Because, like, the van still worked at the yeah. point when he brought out the treadmill, so... But, I mean, I will say, this also powers the van, and it's Fred's smartest idea ever. If there's any infinite power source, it is Shaggy and Scooby running away from a monster. So by putting them on that treadmill, he just ensured the van has infinite power. Shaggy's winter wear uh, is probably some of the most changed out of any of the gang. He is now wearing a warm but thin red jacket. How can you tell it's thin? A green, uh, well, because it's not as bulky on his body as I might imagine. But it's, it's a red jacket. That's not his color at all. Uh, he's got a green hat with some uh, seasonal design on there. And mittens. And I, hey, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of really mixing it up for winter wear. 
And that Shaggy is making the boldest choice out of all of them. Shaggy and Scooby are also greatly entertained by a rapping machine. Who wouldn't be? Like, I want, that rapping machine was really cool. Not only does it wrap a box as it's going there on, a, on the treadmill, if you throw a ball through it, it'll, it'll wrap that ball. If you send a yo-yo through, it'll wrap the yo-yo, and as it comes back, it'll unwrap it. Yeah, almost as if it's not a real machine that could ever exist. It definitely couldn't, but in this wild reality, it does exist. And it is fascinating. So I don't blame them for being excited by it. They also use those sacks that they were... That, that's actually a thing that, that came back. They were sack racing in the beginning. And then later they used those sacks to catch the falling presents that were falling out of the tree that the pterodactyl was taking away. Yeah, it's all coming together. Yeah. Into a big steaming pile of messy dog Th- shit. It was... This was good. This was a good thing. It was Santa and his sleigh. And I liked it. <laughs> Minor mentions? Uh, I, I want to shout out George here. George is the man who lights Fred's epiphanies. Because I didn't mention this, but several times in the episode, Fred has an epiphany and a single spotlight of light comes down on him. Reminded me a lot of Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean is a heavenly light. It, well, this was a bit of a heavenly light as well. It was a heavenly light of Christmas, as if lit by the star that led the wise men to Bethlehem. Or by a streetlight, because cities light their streets. They do. That's a nice municipal feature. But, I mean, jo- George and Fred have a good relationship. Apparently he just follows them around, making sure those lights happen. Uh, sure. Actual minor mentions include the two children in the cold open... One of which says that Santa is fireproof. One of which does some stupid statistical math. I'm shocked Velma didn't... Pop up in the cold open? Yeah, sense that from a distance (laughs) and have an orgasm. Statistics. You're in her house now, son. Ooh, I forgot she did that. (laughs) Um, I also wrote down the evening news carolers around this town. Have to carol the news for some reason. Now, this is fine in certain contexts, but in others, I think it would be insensitive. There was a bus crash downtown, 23 are dead now. Big Uh, bus. Yeah, I mean, all news delivery in a way is pretty insensitive if you think about it. I guess, but you're not putting it always to a jaunty song. No. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. It's tasteless, but this town that only celebrates Christmas, is probably super racist and doesn't care, so. They would, hopefully, that's not their only method of news. Like, maybe, you know, let's not do that story via carolers. That will be in the paper. That will be on the evening news. The carolers are just for, like, ooh, money to the orphanage, la 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 la. You're right, I do do King King Wenceslas too much. It's the only one I can think of. Uh, Dr. Mismit, I think was his name, an yes. archaeologist working just outside of town. He has a curly mustache, tiny eyes, and a voice to match. He's got a helper named David, who's dressed as an elf. Mm-hmm. There's a man with a mustache. Who is this guy? The mayor? 
Mayor Riker. Because I'm pretty sure they were in just like a hotel lobby and I thought he was just the concierge. I think that was City Hall. A lot of City Halls look like hotel lobbies. It's it's similar vibes. Um, Mayor Riker wants to help the orphans and celebrate Christmas. He and Fred are very much on the same page. Only I think Mayor Riker is a little more realistic about getting this pterodactyl out of his hair. And Alistair. He's... I don't know, an artisan, a steel worker, some guy who works in the town? I think that's accurate. He, uh, He's designing the star for the top of the Christmas tree. He hates Christmas, but he does it because they pay him. He he just needs to move, buddy. Like, I, I get it. It's tempting because the work is good here, but it's not work that's fulfilling you. you there are other projects. Go to Burning Man. You could, you could don't have to do Christmas shit at Burning Man. He would hate Burning Man, just, just from the look of him. I'm also going to shout out a character who is unnamed, the Shocked Traffic Conductor. There is a very confused traffic conductor at one point, and I believe this is a reference to the traffic conductor in Frosty the Snowman. Or conducting traffic is just something that has to happen occasionally. It is, but in a seasonal environment, I choose to believe it's an intentional reference. And that's all all of the main people. Who is our villain? A pterodactyl. A pterodactyl. We've talked about this. Um, it's not a Christmas pterodactyl. It's not tied Christmas no. in any way. It's it, just a pterodactyl. It is tied to a local archaeological dig where they have recently discovered a preserved pterodactyl nest including one perfectly preserved pterodactyl egg. Or maybe several eggs, but one was kind of the big one they talked about. So it's, it does have its own non-Christmas origin. Uh, it's powerful. It picks up the mystery machine. I know you took issue with that. There were some very big pterodactyls. There was one species that could have crossed modern, the modern Atlantic Ocean after the continent split in, like, a couple hours. That's impressive. That it could just flap across it without needing to, like, break or anything. But I don't think it could lift a three tons of American <laughs> steel as casually as it does when it picks up the mystery machine. Because keep in mind, it's not just like that van as factory-issued. Fred has put a lot into that. Any nooks and crannies in that van are stuffed to the brim with technology right now. It's probably being powered by uranium or some shit. You know how heavy depleted uranium gets? <laughs> no, I think it's just powered by that treadmill. The pterodactyl ends up being the artisan that hates Christmas and for some reason David the Elf. Well, I missed David's motivation. David the Elf was sort of the main culprit here. Uh, he had, he essentially wanted the finds from that archaeological dig. He wanted to steal that egg. So what he did was he hit it via the wrapping machine. But then he got it mixed up with the other presents for the orphanage. And so what he decided to do was build a big pterodactyl to steal it from That's the Christmas right. tree in the middle of town. Because it's explained that David is a... A master engineer, even though we didn't see that in the episode before no. Velma just started saying it. Exactly. That was just given Total to us. Total bullshit. But he got in uh, Alistair Leventhal, 
uh, because he needed to redesign the star so that the pterodactyl could more easily grab the whole tree. Why doesn't he just wait until 2, 3 a.m., go to the tree where they keep all of the presents unguarded, unprotected, look for one that's big enough to hold the egg that he held in his own arms so he's got to judge of how big it is, and just take those fucking presents. Here's the thing. You're right. The present with the dinosaur egg in it is probably the heaviest. Because I know I don't care how heavy a Tonka truck is. It's probably not heavier than a fossilized pterodactyl egg. And like, what kind of shitty town? They wrap all the presents and put them on the Christmas tree, and then the orphans have to like shamble out here. <laughs> Climb up the tree! Christmas morning in the cold to receive their gift that's been left out to the elements for God knows how long. Yeah, usually with something like that, they would like pack it into a truck and drive it over to the orphans. Yes. Do you think that was the plan? Before the tree was, like, stolen by a pterodactyl, and so everyone was just out in the streets. Because at this point, the Scooby gang are the ones who are delivering the presents, and they just might not know the proper protocol. The mayor might be there rubbing his temples, being like, no, we do we do this at 6pm, we bring it over there. These actually aren't the presents, they're just for show. The real ones are in the warehouse. Feasibility... I don't think so. No. I don't think you're grading. I liked the idea that he had to collaborate with someone. Like, that is an interesting little twist. That makes it a little more feasible. But this is one of those, like, mechanical works of wonder that you're not going to do in the real world. Especially when you do not establish beforehand fucking Chekhov's... Engineer genius. Yeah. They did. You can't just drop that on us. I think there was a lot that was well set up in this episode. Like, you did know that he had volunteered at the wrapping factory. You saw him at the archaeological dig. But yeah, that was the one dropped ball that we didn't know he was an electric engineer. Terror scale. I mean, I already said that this is more a neutral figure in the Christmas pantheon. So it, it may not be that scary. A motherfucking pterodactyl would be scary. And calling it neutral. This is philosophy I don't want to get into. Obviously, it's going to terrorize people because it wants to eat. It's not doing it maliciously, but it's still terrorizing people. We're we're pterodactyls carnivores. Yes. Oh, shit. That's not good. Because, I mean, at one point, Scooby and Daphne get picked up. If this pterodactyl is grabbing dogs, women, and children off the streets, first of all... Why no men? You sexist? But also... Do you think the pterodactyl part in Jurassic Park 3 would have been tense if they were just eating berries you're, off No, bushes? you're right. Jurassic Park 3 is a precedent here. I gave it a four, because I like pterodactyls. They're my second favorite. I, I will go higher then. You made a good point with Jurassic Park 3. And even though it is, it is a, a neutral figure, I mean, that, that means you don't know where you stand with it. So I'll I'll give it a six because I think it uh, like like I wasn't terrified in this episode, but it's got a, a lot of good points, and I gotta respect a pterodactyl. Now, general thoughts and feelings. This episode did one thing that takes it above and beyond for me. This is my favorite thing of any Be Cool Scooby Doo episode yet, and that is the chase sequence, the song they play is a holiday version of Lust for Life by Iggy Pop. 
<laughs> like there, there's no misunderstanding this. It's got the full a bump, 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 a bump, 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 bump. But with jingle bells. Yeah, I was literally sitting on the couch and I heard it, and I was just like, "Is this fucking lust for life?" Yeah, and I showed you my computer where I had already written in all caps, "Holiday lust for life." So stupid. Amazing. Great choice. Uh, other than that, I noticed uh, a little reference. Uh, they said that this was the largest candy cane display in the tri-state area. And I believe this series does have some creative crossover with Phineas and Ferb. So, hey, that tri-state area making its appearance again. Yeah, watch out for doofenshmirtz. That's actually going to be nice uh, when calculating miles traveled. We've got, we've, we've got this one down to at least three states. What does that mean to you? It could be three states on the other side of the country. I feel like it, when you say tri-state area, it's that, like, New York, Jersey, and other. I don't know it, but I feel like that's the area I imagine when I hear tri-state. Tri-state implies any three states that are touching. I mean, literally, yeah, but socially. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> What about you? Any other, any other general no. thoughts? No, nothing from you? No. All right. Um, I'm going to come out and say this is my favorite episode of Be Cool Scooby-Doo so far. Uh, maybe it's just the holidays, you know, that, that little eggnog in my belly that's talking. But this one for me of Be Cool, it feels like a Scooby-Doo absolutely for me. You don't expect me to be, like, generous or anything because nope. it's Christmas, right? Nope. Because it's a Christmas miracle. I oh, Amelia thinks it's a Scooby-Doo as well. No. Sorry, folks. I hate to dash the Christmas <laughs> magic upon the rocks, but this is still a Scooby-Don't. So stupid. For, for me, pterodactyl. I like. Daphne birthday subplot. Best Daphne subplot so far. Uh, <laughs> I like... Shit, I had a list in my head. I liked it. Holiday Lust. It was a Scooby-Doo, and then Holiday Lust for Life played, and it was a Scooby-Doo, absolutely. Well, I'm going to stick by what I said last episode, that it would be really fucking nice to see one original thing here, and they could have chosen any dinosaur to be terrorizing this town, but they chose a Christmas pterodactyl, which was already seen in community. Okay, you've put out an interesting idea here, because Christmas Ankylosaurus... Would be pretty cool. Our next episode is something about crime. It is, because uh, we nearly watched the wrong episode to record this. So we watched the first two minutes of it before realizing this was not Scary Christmas. If you'd like to reach out to us online, wish us a Merry Christmas. We will be on Twitter. All of Christmas Day, no time for ourselves. I am at the Billy Seaguire. Amelia is at Fatal Amelia. And we can be found collectively at Scooby underscore Doos. You can find all our old episodes, including all past Christmas episodes, including Nutcracker Scoob and the one with the giant snowman that tears down chimneys, and probably some others that I'm forgetting. It's gotta be at least one other one. Uh, you can find all those on our WordPress, Tumblr, and YouTube page, all under Scooby Doos or Scooby Don'ts. We have a Patreon. I have my own personal YouTube page under Fatal Amelia. We're on Instagram, Fatal Amelia, Billy Seaguire, and this will be the last episode for 2020. We will resume again sometime in January. Yeah. I'm taking 
a break. A well-earned holiday break, I would say. So, listeners, for the next few weeks, stay safe, wear your winter wear, and that's it from Scooby-Dooby Us to Scooby-Dooby You. Christmas Brachiosaurus. Christmas Tyrannosaurus. Christmas Tyrannosaurus is a little too easy. Christmas Plesiosaur. That's asking for a specific sort of episode. Is it too late to ask for uh, a Christmas present of you not just listing every dinosaur you know with the word Christmas before it? <laughs>